0: Open your Bibles with you to Matthew chapter 16. We've been talking for a few weeks now, and really it's going to be our theme for a good part of this year, although we'll take some sidetracks and do some other things. In fact, if it, were the, it were, if it were the only thing you ever tried to, ever studied and, and, and ever saw, prayed about and sought after, it would be, it would be worthwhile. Matthew chapter 16. Because we're talking about the answer to a question. It is the question of the ages. It's the question that's asked of each one of us. And we're beginning to see and we'll continue to see how critical this is. Verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? They said to him, Some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth, I will, bound in, will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. We've looked at the question, who do men say that I am? We've seen that, that at the time Jesus was walking on the earth, that was the question. Everywhere he went... It was either the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. It was the the officers, the Roman officers. It was Pilate. We went through a list the first day of the people out of the Bible that were asking this question, what kind of man is this? Even his own disciples who had been living with him, who had been called by him, after they saw him do some amazing things, they said, what manner of man is this? And so Jesus is, understand this, when God asks questions, He's not looking for information. God doesn't have opinions. God never has an idea. Because an idea is something you hadn't thought of that you've thought of. Since he knows everything and everything comes from him, he's never had an idea. He's never had an original thought. Because they all come from him. I'm not all thoughts do, but I mean everything he knows everything. So he doesn't have an opinion. An opinion is an educated guess. And when you ask questions to get information, it's because you don't have it. So whenever God asks us a question, it's always because He knows something He wants you to know. So He asks the question for our benefit, and that's what Jesus is doing here. He said, who do men say that I am? And they give an answer. Well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're the prophet. We've talked about the fact that He takes that option away from us. He's not just a good man. Because Then he asked the question, which will be asked of every one of us. There are many questions that many people get asked in their lifetime, but this is a question everyone will have to answer. And the question, because he turns to them and says, but who do you say that I am? I grew up in church. My family, because of changes in our family and moving, I belonged to three different denominations. And in each one of them, I went through Sunday school. I went through a catechism in one where I was taught the, you know, the basic doctrines and you know, principles of the church. So I knew I could have answered this question, who is Jesus? I could have answered it you know, theologically correctly. But the question he asked is, but who do you say that I am? Who am I to you? And Peter, who was always quick to answer, and sometimes he got the right answer, Sometimes he got the wrong answer. This time he's got the right answer. He says, you are, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. We've talked about what, that, what he didn't say. Because then Jesus goes on to say, Peter, flesh and blood didn't tell you that. In other words, you didn't figure that out or that wasn't the result of some committee vote or some study that you disciples have done. But that was shown, revealed to you by my Father who was in heaven. We saw that isn't it interesting that what the father revealed to Peter that Jesus says was right was not that he was Savior of the world. It was not that he was our Redeemer. It was not that he was our soon coming King, because all of those, as true as they are and as wonderful as they are, were things he's done for us. But the issue that Jesus is raising is not do who what, not do people what not do what, not what have I done for you but who do you say I am? And the answer that God gives through Peter is you are the Christ, the anointed one, and you are the son of the living God. And once Peter spoke that revelation, Jesus now began to build on that revelation. And this is important for us to understand. And this is what we looked at last time. Because now what he says is, Verse 17, Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father is in heaven. We looked last time at verse 18, and I also say to you, still part of the same discussion, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, this verse has been misunderstood, studied, written about. There are so many commentaries out about this verse because it's become the foundation of a major denomination because they read this to say Jesus saying, you are Peter, and upon the rock Peter, I am building my church. I shared with you last time that if you understand the Greek, if you look at the Greek, you don't have to understand you just have to look at it. Jesus is doing a play on words because when he says, you are Peter, he's using a Greek word, a male version of a word that means a small stone, but you're solid. But upon this rock, which is petra, which is the feminine form of a word, which is the large rock, which is used for the foundation of a building, I will build my church. The rock that Jesus is building his church on is what this whole discussion is about. It is the revelation of who Jesus is. And I believe what the Spirit of God is doing is calling the church back to that revelation because we've gotten off track and we're trying to build our church on aspects of who He is, on what He does for us. He blesses us and he does bless us. He provides our needs, and he does provide our needs. He's our Savior, and he is our Savior. Those are all things he does for us. But if the church is built on what he does for us, then that is going to be the basis of our relationship with him, and it will be a selfish relationship because it's going to be based on what he does for us me. Yesterday in our men's meeting, we heard an incredible message by Lafayette Scales on growing up. I'm going to make it available in the bookstore. I'm going to get, have it available because not only do we men need to listen to it, we all need to listen to it because he talks about what childishness is. Childishness is not based on your age. Childishness is based on certain ways you conduct yourself and certain attitudes. And then he talks about what's necessary to go from childishness to maturing. And that's what God, as a loving Father, is doing with us. But one of the aspects of a child is they're self-centered. Everything is interpret- interpreted around how it affects me. And when, our chur- when the church is built on just what Jesus does for us, then it establishes a church based on me, not on him. And he is all those things, but here's what's so important to understand. Those things are not the foundation of the church. The foundation of the church is the revelation of who he is. Because notice if it's founded on the right foundation, he said, I will build my church. This church is not my church. This church is not your church. We use that expression meaning I belong to it or I attend it. And that's okay as long as we never forget, I don't own this church. This church was here before I came. And most likely, unless Jesus comes back sooner, will be here after I'm gone. The church is His church. And it's not this building, we've talked about that last year, it's you and me, members of his body. And he said, if it's built on this foundation, then I will build my church. I've shared with you the Lord last year, spoke to me and says, your job is not to build this church. Your job is to feed, train, and equip the saints so that they can do the work of the ministry. We studied that last year. And if you will do that, and then they will do their part, I, God, Jesus said, will build my church here. So part of what we're doing is laying that foundation again, calling us back to that foundation that he says is the foundation of the church. So it is the revelation of who Jesus is that is the foundation of, of the church. We have talked about what a foundation is. A foundation determines how solid the building is. It also determines the quality of the building and the size of the building and how well that building will last under storms. So one of the things you need to look at at your own life, especially if you're going through a storm right now, is how well are you standing in the middle of the storm because that may tell you some, give you some insight into what foundation you're building your life on. If you're sinking, then most likely you're building your life on the wrong foundation. And we'll talk more about that down the road. We're talking about the church of which we're a part. So let's look at what he goes on to say about that. So that the, the church is to be built on the revelation of who he is. And then he goes on to say, and I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against that. Now, I did a study, just not a long study, but I went and looked up places where the gates of something are referred to in the Bible. Because often terms like that mean something, the term itself. So we can't just, you know, think of the gate outside your door, your, your, you know, your, at the end of your, if you've got a you know, fence and you've got a gate that, that lets people in and out. Don't just think of that. These terms often have a meaning. And and what I I found out is that it basically refers to the entrance into or out. So it's nothing very deep. But the gates of Hades. Hades comes from a Greek word which literally means the place of the unseen. Some commentators say it means hell. Some commentators say it means the, 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 the spirit realm. But he's clearly talking here about the gates of hell, of Hades, not prevailing against the church. So there has to be some opposition. And in essence, what he's saying here is I will establish my church if it's built on the foundation of the revelation of who I am. If it's built on that revelation, then I will establish my church on that revelation and whatever hell throws against it, it will not prevail. In other words, the church will prevail over all the forces of hell. In other words, the church that's his church is a victorious church. We often use the expression, and I've used it lately myself, in several cases, because I really feel it's true. There are people now going through a spiritual warfare. There is such a thing as a spiritual battle. Two Wednesday nights ago, I devoted one whole, in fact, the last two Wednesday nights, I just went talked about spiritual warfare, because Satan is real, demonic spirits are are real. Jesus talked to them, the Bible talks about them, we don't have to be afraid of them, but they are out there and they are working to stop the work of God. Wednesday night I went back through Paul's discussion of a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him to stop him so he would quit and the word of God would not go forth. Satan is not after you, he's after the word of God that you have. He doesn't care about you. The threat to him is the word of God planted in your heart, growing in your heart, because then it comes out of your mouth and affects other people. That's what he tries to oppose, and the church he tries to oppose. Jesus saying here is, if you have this revelation of who I am, and the church is built, based, standing on, trusting in, founded on that revelation of who I am, then I will establish my church. And what I establish, the gates of hell, will not stop. So he is building, he wants to build a victorious church. So God's goal for the church is not that we survive, we made it through. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I've made it. I made it to heaven. That's good right there. Oh, we don't have to stay around down there anymore. No, it is for this time that you and I were born. And if you've got to be careful, because I found myself beginning to s- slip back into that mentality. Oh, Lord, get me out of here. The world's gone crazy. I don't recognize this nation anymore. Things that are happening 20 years ago would be the day are unthinkable. It's like everybody's crazy out there. Well, in a way, they are. So I've been slipping back into this mentality: of, "Lord, get me through this, so I can get out of here." And God's arresting me and calling me back. Says, "That's not why you're here to survive. The church is not here to make it through." That's right. And the gates of Hades will not stop my church, Jesus said, if it's founded on the right foundation, which is the revelation of who I am. As long as it's founded on what I'll do for you, then I don't guarantee that the church will survive against the gates of hell. But if it's founded on the revelation of who I am, And the church will prevail against the kingdoms of darkness. So let's go on and look at some more of what he says that reaffirms that. Verse 19. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Let's stop there a second. So he's just referred to two different kingdoms. There's the kingdom of Hades or darkness or death or hell. And he said, that kingdom will not prevail against the church. In other words, the church will prevail against that kingdom. But how's that going to happen? And he tells us the answer. I give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, what are keys? What do they represent? We're kind of getting away from keys to some degree. Now you go to a hotel or a motel. They don't use keys. They use a credit card thing you slip in there. I've now got a car that doesn't have a key either. As long as you have it on you, the car will open, and if you push a button, it'll start, and that's kind of the new new trend. But a key represents what? Authority. If you buy a car from somebody or buy a new car from somebody, uh, whatever you do, when you pay them the money... And they give you the car, you know, they give you the title, says, you own the car now, isn't that nice? And you give them the check, isn't that nice, thank you? Isn't there something else that I'm supposed to get? You know, I remember when I was a lawyer, and in the beginning I used to do a lot of real estate closings, where you, you know, house closings, where you go to the registry and you sit there and you go through the thing, you know. And as a lawyer, I'm just concerned about getting all the paper signed. Get the paper signed, you know, and the... Lawyers get the paper signed. You want to get leave the table and, and the buyer would say, wait a minute, haven't you forgot something? have oh, we forgot something? Yeah. I need the keys <laughs> to the house. Having the deed is wonderful, but I can't take that deed and open the door to get in the house. Keys represent authority and ownership. Before I bought the car, the dealership owned the car and had the keys. They let me borrow them to do a test drive. But when I was done the test drive, I had to give the keys back. But when I paid for the car or signed the lease or whatever it was, and, you, and, and now the ownership's transferred, the evidence of that, aside from the legal level, is they give you the, the keys because it takes the keys to open the car. So if, if uh, you know, I, my son came in with me this morning, so if he were going to take that, can I borrow your car? At, you know, I'd say, sure. What he wants is the keys, because the keys now give him the authority to operate that car. So what's Jesus saying here? He says, not only will the gates of hell not stop the church but I'm giving you something that's that's overt, that's active. I give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, some people teach, and I believe it's true, that those keys are to unlock the kingdom of heaven so that people can get in. But what he's talking about here, and I believe it means also, is he's talking about the authority of heaven. So when the church is built on the foundation of the revelation of who He is, not just what He does for us, then He will build His church, and the church that He builds, hell will not be able to stop. And that church, He then will give the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I want to take time to go through this because there's a lot of people doing some of this stuff without understanding what he's talking about. There are a lot of books out there, and some very good ones, and then some that aren't quite so good, on the authority that's been given to the church. Authority is something we need to understand in the church in two basic areas. One is we need to understand what church authority is because that's been established by God. But the other thing we need to understand is we've been given an authority to operate in. And one of the reasons the church has been so anemic and so weak when it comes to dealing with the kingdom of darkness is because the church either is ignorant of its authority or is misusing the authority, and you can't misuse it. It just won't work for you if you don't do it the right way. Now, as I said, the key that I have for my car doesn't have a key in it. It's just a thing you carry on you. But if you don't do it right and you go and you sit in there and you push that button, it gets this warning saying you don't have the, the transmitter, it's called. You don't have the transmitter with you. All right, I go get the transmitter, put the transmitter in my pocket, sit in the car, push the button. It says you've got to put your foot on the brake. Get the transmitter, put my foot on the brake, push the button, now it starts. In other words, if I don't do what I'm supposed to have done, I can be in there pushing that button all I want, and it won't work until all the things that are supposed to be in place are in place. So we've got people out there, first of all, thinking whatever comes along We have to accept. There's a major teaching, and and there's some wonderful old writers that I love to read, but they'll come to the place, so many of them, and they'll basically have this attitude that Christian maturing is learning to accept whatever happens with the right attitude. And there's a certain value in that. A lot of Eastern religions are based on coming to that place where I just don't let anything bother me. And so there's a certain peace that you can get by coming to that place where you just don't let things bother you. And that's fine. We need to learn to do that. On the other hand, that totally ignores what the Bible teaches us, that there is an enemy out there trying to stop you. Jesus didn't just take whatever happened. He didn't come down to the edge of the shore. And the disciple says, I'm sorry, Lord. You know, the storm's too tough. We can't get over there today. We better just bear with it. Jesus said, get in the boat. He gets up to the bow and he says, peace, be still. And what happened? The storm obeyed him. That's one of the times they looked at each other and says, what kind of guy is this? Or what manner of man is this? Things came out of nature. Things came out of people to stop him, to buffet him, to keep him from accomplishing the purpose for which he came. And nothing prevailed against him. See, that's why we know that he didn't end up on that cross because he was weak. He ended up on that cross because he was strong. He allowed them to nail him to that cross because that's why he came was to die on that cross. What he would not allow to happen was anything or anyone to distract him or stop him for the purpose for which he came. Oh, this is good. Even his own disciples, because we'll look later on, Peter, three verses later, when Jesus now thinks they're ready to tell him why he came, because he goes to explain to them, I've got to go to Jerusalem and die. Peter, so flush with that latest revelation, now gets another revelation and says, you can't do that. And Jesus recognizes the source of this revelation and says, get behind me, Satan. There's a little lesson in there, a little side trip here, that just because you're open to the Spirit of God, let me put it this way, if you're really sensitive to the Spirit of God, you can also be sensitive to other spirits. Because sensitivity is sensitivity. So what do I do? You have to learn discernment so you'll know which spirits talking to you. And Peter was sensitive to spirits but hadn't matured enough to know which spirit was talking to him. Right in the same chapter. Jesus allowed, now listen carefully how I'm saying this, Jesus allowed nothing and no one to stop him from the purpose for which he came. Even his own brothers who questioned him at one point. And the result is nothing and no one stopped him. He had opposition, he had distractions, they all came at him. Even Satan appeared to him. You know, we talk about the devil did this. You'll never see the devil, he'll never deal with you personally because he can only be in one place at one time, and none of us most likely are going to be important enough to him to get him on our case. But we use that expression because he has emissaries that he sends against us. But Jesus was important enough. Now if no person, no demon, no storm, no situation could stop Jesus from accomplishing His purpose, why would He leave here then, birth His body into the earth to complete the purpose, and then not give us the same authority that He had so that we couldn't be stopped in the purpose for which the body of Christ is here? Wouldn't it make sense? He would give us the same authority that he had to operate in? And we're going to see that obviously he did. Then how come the church doesn't see the same results that he did with the same authority? How come we don't see the same results... with the same authority. John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14, Jesus said, The works that I do shall you do, and greater works shall you do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask Him in my name, I will do it. And so we've learned to use the name of Jesus just like we've learned to bind and loose, but we haven't learned to use the name of Jesus, and we haven't learned to bind and loose because it doesn't work most of the time. Don't make that confession. Oh, be real. (laughs) Every time you speak something in the name of Jesus, does it happen? Come on, be honest. When you bind something, does it get bound up or does it get loosed? Then something's wrong. Either he lied, and we know he can't do that, or there's something we're missing in what he's saying. And what's happened is we've taken a verse and a principle, pulled it out of context, and we're trying to use it for our own purposes, even though they may be good purposes, without understanding what he's saying and why it's given to us. It all goes back to understanding the revelation of who he is being the foundation for the church. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Now, if you've got a good, good study Bible, it will tell you that actually in the Greek, because of the they use a tense, I don't want to get into this, it's called the aorta, they use a tense that doesn't quite match up with anything we have in English, a tense for their verbs. And the way this, the most accurate way of oh, this way it's expressed is this, that whatever you bind on earth will be as if it already had been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be as if it's already been loosed in heaven. Some commentators, and I think there's a sense in which this is true. So we can't just go bind and loose things unless it's within the scope of what heaven's already bound and loosed. In fact, one of the studies I did said that that term binding and loosing was a legal term in Jesus' day. And what they believed is that when a judge handed down his verdict, as long as he handed it down based on what the law said, then all of the law backed up his decision. And that's basically true today. We had a judge a couple of weeks ago, and I mentioned this on a Wednesday night, who issued a ruling saying that you could not, at the school graduation, there were certain words you could not say. And they weren't cuss words. They were the word prayer. Amen or amen. Invocation or benediction. Judge wasn't saying you couldn't pray. He already said that. He said you couldn't say certain words. That was his ruling. But the parties appealed it to the Court of Appeals for his district and the Court of Appeals judge decided, whoa, wait a minute. This judge has gone outside the boundaries of his authority because he's now violating the First Amendment that his decision is supposed to be protecting. So the Court of Appeals judge overruled his decision because he got outside of the purpose for his authority. And so this principle in Jesus' day was as long as the judge was within the boundaries of the law that he was charged to enforce, he had all the authority of the government behind him. They didn't have to rubber stamp everything he said and everything he did because he did it in their authority because it was in the scope of the authority He was given. You all with me now? So you bring that principle, and I'm going to show you that that's true in a minute. You bring that principle over into what Jesus is saying here, and now it makes sense, because he's saying that the foundation of the church is the revelation of who I am. And if that is the foundation for the church, then I will build my church on that foundation. And if if you're my church that I'm building on that foundation then the hell cannot prevail against you because it couldn't prevail against me. Not only that, that's passive, but I'm going to give you some active authority. I'm going to give you my keys. By the way, in Revelation 1, Jesus came out of hell and said, I have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. I will give you my keys so that in my place, Whatever you authorize or prohibit with all that foundation, all of heaven backs you up. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. So when we just throw the name of Jesus at something without making sure. Verse 5. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him. Centurion is a Roman officer who had authority over, I think it was 100 men. This is not a Pharisee. This is not a rabbi. This is not a Sadducee. This is not a Jewish man that had a covenant with God. This is a Roman officer. He comes to Jesus and pleads with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. He didn't get to finish his statement Because Jesus interrupts him and said, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. In other words, he wasn't going to ask him to come under his roof. That's a little side note. Jesus was so willing to come and heal his servant, he didn't wait to hear the rest of the question. When he heard the need, he was ready to heal. The centurion says, no, I wasn't going to ask you to come under my roof. I'm not worthy that you come under my roof. But only speak the word and my servant will be healed. Now, nobody else said that to Jesus. They all wanted to come, lay hands on him. You know, Jairus needed him to come to my house because my daughter's dying or one one of the gospels said she's already dead. This man says, no, you don't need to come. Just say the word, and my servant shall be healed. Now we're going to hear why he believed Jesus didn't need to come and touch his servant. Why he believed that Jesus' word was enough. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes to my servant, do this, and he does it. And Jesus heard this. He marveled and said to those who are following, Surely I say to you, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. There's a key word in here that's absolutely vital to our understanding. Little words can be so important like the word but or and or or. Let's look in verse 9. For I also... I am a man under authority. I also am a man under authority. I also. What does also mean? Also means in addition to like you. If I just said to you, I was at the men's meeting yesterday, but Pastor Ray was there also. That tells you that where I was, he was. And if I tell you that I watched this video and Pastor Ray did it also, you'd know that not only was he there where I was, but he did. What I did. So, what are you telling us, Pastor? This man is saying that I understand what it's like to be under authority, and I recognize that you also are someone under authority. So, what he's recognizing about Jesus, the disciples missed. They didn't understand where his power and authority came from. But the centurion understood authority. See, people with military experience, if they were good in the service, should have some understanding of authority because they've been under it. Clear, (laughs) as we heard yesterday, concrete, tangible, and overpowering authority. You've got to listen to yesterday's message to find out what that means. In other words, if, if you don't, respect the authority over you in the military, you don't get away with that. You go to a place called the brig or whatever they call it in the service. You know you, you, There are consequences to not respecting the authority that's over you, whether you like them or agree with them or not. They're on a given authority over you and how you respond to authority in the military determines to some degree your success in it. It certainly determines your comfort. And he's saying... Looking at my military experience and training, I recognize something about you. You are a man under someone else's authority. And then he goes on to say, and just as I'm a man under authority, I'm also a man in authority. Therefore, I recognize that because you're under authority, you're in that same authority. What we try to do is operate in the authority without being under the source. Because where does this authority come from? All authority, the Bible says in several places, comes from God the Father. Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father doing. I only say what I hear Him saying. I have come to do the will of my Father. We're talking about the foundation of the church. is the revelation of who He is. And He's given us His authority that He operated in, but we're looking now at how He operated in it. He first of all operated under it. It didn't come from him. Listen carefully. It flowed through him. <laughs> As spring came along, I pulled my garden hose out of the kitchen, out of the uh, garage and not the kitchen, the garage brought it out and we have one of those water we, where I used to come from called spigots they you know water faucets and, and and I have a hose now if I took that hose strung it out put the valve on the other end and stood out there to water the flowers I can speak all I want water come water flow in in the water flow in the name of the Bristol County Water Authority flow Nothing's going to happen. I don't care how much I scream and yell and call you up and get the intercessors praying. Why? Because I've got to take the other end and I've got to attach it to the source where the water comes from. See, the hose has to be under the faucet in order for the water to flow out of it. And the centurion says, I see something about you. I recognize that you're a man under his authority, and therefore his authority flows through you. So you don't need to come. All you need to do is speak the word, and his authority will flow through you to my servant. And Jesus stops everybody, his own staff, and says, Wow. Wouldn't it be nice if Jesus said to you, Jerome, I tell these guys, look at him. Wow. 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 See, God does that. He pointed Job out. and then He says, look at my servant Job. Look at him. Jesus, wow. This is to the Jews. This is to his staff. Who's, you know, am I going to sit on the right or the left? (laughs) That's why Jesus said, am I going to find faith when I come back? He said, I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. Matthew 28. We want it to flow out of us. Verse 16. The eleven disciples Jesus has been raised from the dead, he's been appeared a number of places and a number of times. And the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to a mountain that Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Isn't that interesting? We're talking about his disciples, his 11 disciples that are left, and some doubted still. He's been raised from the dead. They've seen him appear in the middle of rooms, and they're still having questions. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, listen to this, all all authority has been given to me. Stop right there. If it's been given to him, he didn't have it originally. And it comes from someone else. So if I were to call Ron up here and say, Ron, I'm going to give you my pen. This isn't the pen, by the way. This is another one. <laughs> I'm going to give you my pen. We know he doesn't have it yet. And when he gets he says, well, Pastor John gave me this pen. That tells me there was a time when he didn't have it, and it tells me that now that he has it, it came from someone else. So when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, that means it came from, from someone else, and obviously the only one it could have come from was his father. So the authority he's talking about is the original source of authority, God the Father himself. And the authority he's talking about, it's important to understand. Just ask the seven sons of Sceva. Because they took the name of Jesus, because they saw Paul operating in that name. And they took the name of Jesus. Well, Paul uses the name of Jesus. And here's a demon-possessed man. We're just going to use the same name against him because we found the key. We found the secret. We read the book. I heard the tape. All you had to do was say in the name of Jesus. So they get over there and they say, in the name of Jesus, come out. And what happened? The demons came out all right, but jumped all over them, seven brothers, stripped their clothes off them, and they ran away beaten. Because you know what the demon said? Jesus I know. Paul I know, but who are you? (laughs) They had a key, but it wasn't from the kingdom. It was from a book or a tape. Those are designed to take us to the Word, so we find out what the Word says. So based on the Word, we can do what the Word says, and then God will do what He says. In other words, when you got the thing in your pocket, you put your foot on the brake, now you push the button, and now it will work. All right, let's go on and see, because this is so important. So the authority he's talking about is the authority of (laughs) Almighty God. This is absolute authority. Nothing can resist it, and he's saying all of that authority has been given to me in heaven and on the earth. Therefore you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. These are not unconnected thoughts. He's saying to, you that, to them, I have been given by my Father all authority of heaven and over this earth, and you are commissioned... As my body to go forth into this world proclaiming the gospel, healing people. If you look at Mark, there are other things to do. You are to carry my body, my purpose to the world, and to do that, I give you this authority that had been given to me. But the authority is given to carry out his purpose. It's not given to us to just use as a tool for whatever we want, whenever we want. As long as the church is founded on the foundation that He has established, which is the revelation, and we're going to get to that, of who He is. Not what He does, those are important, but the revelation of who He is. With the churches established on that foundation, he said, he will build his church. And whatever heaven throw, hell throws against it, it will not stop his church. And he gives to his church the authority that he's had that he used to carry out that purpose is now given to the church to carry out that purpose. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes. Thank you, Thank you, Jesus. So we're going to have to find out this revelation of who he is, because that seems to determine everything. Amen. Now turn with me to Acts chapter 3. I want to show you, this is theory, I want to show you action. i have to cut this, describe this a little a bit myself. Peter and John are going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. As they come up to the temple, they see a man, verse 2, a man who was lame from his mother's womb and lay daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms or money of those who enter the temple. Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him, John, with John, Peter said, "Look at us." So he gave him as their attention, his attention. He gave them his attention, expecting to receive something or money from them. But Peter said, "Silver and gold I do not have, but what I." Do have, I give you, in the name, in the authority, of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise, and walk. In the name, you can turn it this way so it helps you understand it better. Means in the place of. In John 16, Jesus said, "If you do what I say, then I will ask my Father, and He will send the Holy Spirit to you." in my name, my place. So the church is here in his place to continue the works and greater works that he did. And therefore he's given the church his authority and his authority is in his name. But we've tried to use the name without being under his authority, without being standing on the foundation of who he is. Because who he is will govern what you do. And here we see Peter and John finally have it. This man says, I need money, please. I'm a, he's a professional beggar because that's the only means of livelihood he had. And Peter says, I don't, we don't have money with us." But we do have something. Oh, yes, indeed. In the name, in the place of Jesus, I say to you. In the authority of Jesus that's been given to us, yeah. I say to you. Remember, Jesus worked with words. Rise and walk. And it says, straightway his limbs were made strong. He stood up leaping and shouting. Right. Now, this create, created a commotion. So what the authorities do when they see what's happened is they have Peter and John arrested. So we'll go to chapter 4. They bring them before them and the authorities and they want to know what's happened. Verse 10, let it be known to you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth or by the authority or in the place of or as his representative, as his body, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by, by by him, this man stands before you whole. And then what they do is they have a little side conference and they figure out what the problem is. So they come out and they said, um, verse 17, but so that this spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them. See, that's that opposition. That from now on they speak to no man in this name. They recognize what the church doesn't recognize. So they call them together and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. The devil knows where the issue is. But it's not just taking that name and throwing. it. We use his name actually in vain. We throw it at the end of prayers like it's part of the way you're supposed to end a prayer. And then we wonder... Why, when we use it in an emergency, we don't see anything happening. Because we don't regard that name based on who He is. We see it as a resource that we can pull out, or a weapon we can pull out and use when we're in trouble. And we can, but only if we're using it with a true appreciation for who He is that that name represents. In other words, that we are under the spigot or faucet. Because when you recognize who He is, you discover you're either under Him or you're not. You're out there on your own. We live in a day and age when the gates of hell are rearing their ugly heads and screaming and yelling and perver- all kinds of perversion out there. And the church is being threatened so that we become intimidated because we look at ourselves and we see, my goodness, we can hardly hold it together. Or you know, And most of the people in church are struggling today just to keep their head above water in one way or another. There are just struggles going on and pressure. There's so much pressure right now the church is not here to survive the church is here to accomplish his will to complete the work that he began but not in our strength we've been talking about that on wednesday night ephesians 6 10 says be strong in the lord and in the power and the power and the power of his might and some of the church has a revelation of the authority that's been given to the church. So much of the church doesn't have that revelation at all. They just think, you know, we are just got to go to get through, you know, in the sweet by and by, you know, things are going to get better. We just hold together and just hold on. The devil's chasing me down, but I think I can outrun him, you know, at least make it to the end. And that's the mentality of much of the church because they do not understand the authority that's been given to the church. But there's a portion of the church that has a revelation of that authority but not the real revelation of who He is. So we're trying to exercise the authority without being underneath His authority. And we're finding out that you're trying to spray the flowers with a hose that's not connected to the source of the water so it can't flow through you. So we're going to spend our time not focusing on the flowers and this end of the hose... We're going to spend our time learning how to connect our lives to the source of who He is. Because when you're properly connected to Him, John chapter 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you want and it shall be done for you. John chapter fourteen, the next verses, Jesus said after, you know, the works that I do, shall you do greater works than you should do because I go to my Father. The one we we're reading, the next verse says, "If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will, you will be underneath the authority, underneath my authority, because I am underneath my Father's authority."